Well, good evening and welcome to Springbrook Church. We are so grateful to have you with us here this Christmas Eve. And a Merry Christmas to you, whether you are a regular here at Springbrook, whether you're here for the first time, whether you were dragged along under the threat that you would not get any pie if you didn't come to church. We are so uh, thankful that you're here this evening. You know, this uh, is, of course, a time of uh, anticipation. It's a time of celebration. Christmas is a time where people have so many different uh, uh, feelings and emotions of excitement that's going on uh, for some of us, even in the midst of what otherwise has been perhaps a very difficult, trying, painful year. There is this sense when Christmas comes around that we are on the cusp of something good, something wonderful, something enjoyable. After all, it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? And yet, for many of us, the hopes that we have, the, uh, the, the feelings that we have, the sense of anticipation or excitement that we have over this season um, are really wrapped up in this, this idea of finding the, the perfect gift to give. Uh, they're wrapped up in, in the idea of a flawless celebration, of a perfect family gathering, of drinking in this season. And there's a sense in which we can sometimes find ourselves in the busyness, in the hustle and bustle, in the craziness of everything that's going on with a sense maybe of disappointment. Because when all is said and done, uh, we often find ourselves 10 pounds heavier, about $1,000 poorer, or worse still, deeper in debt. And with a nagging sense when we get to the other side of Christmas that surely there was supposed to be something more than just that. Of course, it is true. This really is a time of anticipation. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of hope, even in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances. But that is assuming, of course, that we're looking in the right place. That's assuming, of course, that our hope is in the right thing. Nearly 2,700 years ago, God sent a prophet by the name of Isaiah to a people who were fearful, to a people who were unsure of what the future would hold, to a people who had had leaders who had put their hope and trust in the wrong things, and as a result, in trusting in the military might of other nations, they had found themselves in a far weaker, far more desperate situation than they might ever have imagined. And in the midst of that, God sends this prophet, this messenger, with a word of hope to his people. And it's a word of hope. We've seen some of the words come up on the screen in that video just a moment ago. But it's found in Isaiah chapter 9. And it really causes us to ask this Christmas time, where are we placing our hope? Uh, Here, let me read the words to you. It says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he has brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who 
walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. For you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And and so this word of prophecy starts, and it seems a little uh, uh, distant from us. It's difficult for us to understand, but it is a message which proclaims that God is faithful and that his hope, that is his promise, is sure. It starts by reminding the people all those years ago of the fact that God's hope brings about restoration for people who are in a place of hopelessness, for people who would experience great trial, great difficulty. God is a God who delights to restore that which was broken. And the wonderful truth is that that was true for the people of Israel back 2,700 years ago. It's still true for us today. God's hope brings light from darkness. When we see throughout the pages of Scripture the idea of God's light, it is speaking about His presence and His favor. And so for our people who literally felt that they were living lives that were groping around in a dark room trying to make sense of life, trying to make sense of everything that was going on and yet feeling a sense of the sting of hopelessness, God says that he brings light. Now, one of the things I love about this prophecy is the fact that he states here, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the deep, uh, land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. This is actually a prophetic word. This is speaking about something which has not yet come to pass. But the reason that it's speaking in past tense is because when God makes a promise... His promise is so certain, it is so sure that when God speaks, he speaks of something that is not yet as if it already were because it is certain that it will be. And he promises them that not only does his hope bring light from darkness, it brings hope and joy. Uh, This prophecy goes on to explain that God is faithful because he is sending a Messiah. He's talking about a deliverer that will come for his people. And it speaks about the fact that when this deliverer comes, God's hope will be fulfilled and there will be freedom. There'll be freedom from their enemies. There will be freedom from the things that have enslaved them. There will be freedom from the things that have held them captive. When God's hope is fulfilled, there will be victory. And that's what this statement about the, the, the trampling warrior and the garments rolled in blood, which doesn't seem very Christmassy to talk about those sorts of things, does it? But he's talking about the fact that God is a God who when his promises are fulfilled and his purposes are complete, he brings about joy and victory and freedom. And the one who brings this about is the one who was foretold that would come. A Messiah, a promised one, a savior for the people. And that's what he goes on to explain in this prophecy when in verse 6 it says, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder 
And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, one of the things I want us to notice here is the fact that this prophecy given some 2,700 years ago, that means more than 700 years before the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. God already had promised and had foretold that this one would come, that he would be born a a baby. And, And he tells us here in this passage who this baby would be, who this one who would fulfill the promise of hope, the certainty of the fullness of all that God was doing would be. And it gives us his name, this child to be born, this son to be given. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's easy for us to break that down into four different titles or four different names, but actually in the language this was originally written in, it's a single, one single name that is ascribed to him. And even all of these years before uh, the coming of Jesus there in Bethlehem, we are told who this Christ child would be. A wonderful counselor. That's not talking about a really good therapist. No, this is talking about one who comes alongside a comforter, one who comes along next to his people to strengthen them, to give them aid, to guide them in truth. He's not only a wonderful counselor, but he is himself mighty God. There's a lot of people who love to celebrate Christmas. They love the little nativity scene. They love the Jesus in the manger, the safe, comfortable baby Jesus. But make no mistake. God's word is abundantly clear that we cannot simply have a safe, comfortable baby Jesus without recognizing that he is not safe and comfortable at all. That he is himself mighty God, God with us, Emmanuel, the the, the glorious creator of heaven and earth, taking on human flesh and coming and dwelling amongst us. Let's face it, babies are born every day. We don't have a holiday. But this baby, this child, There is no other like him. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. That is that he has no beginning and no end. Uh, That his rule and reign, as this prophecy speaks about, will continue through all eternity because he is the sovereign, supreme, glorious and eternal God. He's the prince of peace. He brings peace. He rules in peace. Where there is striving, where there is enmity, he brings peace. The angels, you'll remember, when they announced to the shepherds, declared, and peace on earth. Peace on earth. Why? Because he is the prince of peace, the bringer of peace. What the... What the 
prophet Isaiah was sent all those years to de- ago to declare was that our hope is to be in our faithful God, in our coming Messiah. And, and the wonderful thing this Christmas for you and I, amidst the busyness of everything, the turkey or the ham or whichever of those camps you fall into or the tacos, if that's what you do in your house, Uh, the gifts that are being opened, the Christmas movies that are being played, amidst all of that, we need to stop. We need to remember what it is that we celebrate, why it is that we set this time aside. And here's the wonder uh, that we can live in light of the hope that was promised all those years ago. Because you see, in Christ, just as there was promised then, so in him there is restoration where there once was only anguish. In Christ, we can be transferred from the domain of darkness into his glorious light. In Christ, we find increase of joy. In Christ, we are set free from the oppressor sin that once enslaved us because every single one of us apart from God, have rebelled against him and gone our own way. But the reason that Christ came was to bring freedom and salvation, not only through his birth there in that humble estate there in Bethlehem, through his sinless, perfect life, but ultimately through his glorious and sacrificial death on the cross, by which he paid the penalty for my sin and for yours. And his resurrection from the dead, because in Christ we have victory with him over death and over hell, and we have a promise of a certain hope and future for all eternity in his presence. In Christ we have our wonderful counselor. We have our mighty God, our everlasting father, our prince of peace. In Christ we can face each day knowing that he is coming again to rule and to reign. And when he does, he will make all things right. And that's really the heart of what this prophecy was about, was about the hope of God, the promise of the certain coming of this Messiah, this one who would come. And indeed, now we stand this side of the cross. Christ has come. And yet, even as we celebrate this Christmas, we also look look forward to the fact that he is coming again. And when he comes, he will come not as a baby laid in a manger, but as a glorious and conquering king, bringing justice and judgment and righteousness and his reward to those who are found in him by faith. This Christmas, where do you place your hope? Because if you're hoping for a perfect Christmas, it's not going to happen. At least not in terms that so many people in our culture describe. But if you are placing your hope, your joy, your celebration in the fact that this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting father, this prince of peace has come. And because he has come, it changes everything. Well, that's a Christmas. That's a Christmas worth celebrating. May the Lord bless you and your family this Christmas. 
And may you know the joy, the peace, and the certain hope that is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. All of Scripture points to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The Bible is the Word of God. It is God-breathed. And the entire Bible points to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. All of the prophecy, all of the revelation, all of the witness, all that is written, all of the words can be summed up in the life of Jesus Christ, beginning with his birth, his life, his teaching, his dying, and his raising from the grave. All of Scripture is God-breathed and points to Jesus. You know, it's interesting when you think about the Bible being called God's Word. You know, that reference is made quite often, and sometimes I think we misunderstand or don't fully understand what it means when we look at the Word of God. I know the first time that I bought a Bible, um, I started reading through the book of Genesis. I got to Exodus, and I got to Leviticus, and I stopped. I tried to read through the Bible so many times. I got to Leviticus. I got through Leviticus at least 10 times. And, and over and over and over, I would stop at Leviticus because the genealogy, the words, the thous, and the these, I, would, they just, I, got, I got lost in those. It wasn't until I was a little bit older that I had an opportunity to read through the book of John. The book of John gives you a crystal clear picture and understanding of the fullness of who Christ is. It's written by the Apostle John, and John writes telling us about Jesus and his ministry. And he opens up with chapter 1 with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is the beginning, in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was not made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John opens up his book so that we can understand the fullness of who Jesus is when he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, John is establishing the reality and the identity of who Christ is clearly is the Word. Of all the names of Jesus that we find in Scripture, the one that I think is probably the most fascinating is the fact that Jesus is the Word. John wants to make clear to us that all of Scripture points to who Jesus is. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, he would say that the Word would become flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is only the Son can reveal from the Father, only the glory that he can provide, full of grace and truth. John establishes Jesus as the Word, and he shares with us two wonderful realities in this opening verse. The first reality is this, Jesus is eternal. He has always been, he will always be, he is the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus has existed in all eternity, he is timeless. Jesus is the expression and the fullness of the existence of God. That expression, in the beginning, means from the beginning of all creation. It is linked to the very beginning of the Bible with those very first words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God for all eternity. 
there has been an intimate and a full, inseparable relationship, a union between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three of those have been in unison together for all eternity. Jesus has always been. And that's important for us to understand because I think sometimes we're understanding that Jesus might just be a moral teacher or a good person. Jesus is more than that. He is God incarnate, the word of God in the flesh, come to be with us. And that's what we celebrate when we come together to celebrate Christmas. The second reality is that Jesus is God in the flesh. God has always existed in the person of the work of Christ, and he is also God. Jesus was there in the beginning. He was with God, and yet, though this might be difficult to understand and explain, he is also God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not a God, not one of many gods, not just a good person. Jesus is God. Those Jewish leaders in John chapter 10 would say, it's not because of what you're doing that we're going to stone you or we want to put you to death. It's because we think that you are a man and you are claiming to be God. They accused him of blasphemy. Jesus would grow up to make some claims about himself, which would lead to his crucifixion, to his death. Jesus understood the reality of who he was, the fullness of the word, God in the flesh. And I want to make sure that this is perfectly clear because at Springbrook, we believe Jesus is God. And as a result, the object of our worship, that's what we're called together for. When we get together on Sunday morning, it's about Jesus being the object of our worship. As we live out our faith, as we talk to others about Christ, it's about understanding that Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus was in the beginning, he was with God, and he is God. In verse 3, it says this, all things were made through him. Without him, there was nothing made that, was, that he did not make. You know, this verse is a reflection of the fact that all of creation, everything that you see was created by him, for him, through him. Colossians 1, 6, that by, it says, by, by him, all things were made. Christ has made everything that we see. Christ has made you and me. As we look around at all creation, it points to the existence of God and the reality of who Christ says he is. The word became flesh and it dwelt among us. He teaches us. He heals us. He corrects us. He protects us. He loves us. And he died for us. And he did all of these things out of his love for us. In the book of 1 John Chapter 4, it says, this is love. Not that we loved him, but that Christ first loved us. He died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sins. It's this love relationship that God has with us as a reflection of who Christ is. You need to know that you are not an accident. There are no accidents. In and through and by Christ, you have been created. And so you might have been dragged here this evening You might not be sure quite why you're here. I want you to know that you are here for the simple fact that you need to hear this message. God loves you. He created you with a a purpose and a plan. And that's a message that we all desperately need to be hearing and encouraging each other with. God loves you and has a plan and a purpose for your life. You have been created by him, for him, through him. God, Jesus, the word, 
the Word created our world. He is our Savior. He is our Prince of Peace. He is our mighty God. He is our Lord, our friend, our maker, and He is the Word. All things were created by Him and for Him. And it doesn't mean that when it talks about creation that He was created Himself. You see, Jesus was not created. Without Him, there was not anything that has been made. Everything that has been made has been created by him, for him, and through him. And John makes this explicit. It's an explicit, emphatic, crystal clear idea that John wants to get across. Anything in the category of being made has been made by Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. Jesus is the word. He is eternal. He is God. All things were created by him and through him and for him. In verse 5 in John, it says this, In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is life. He gives us life. John 6 says that he is the bread of life. In John 10, he says that he came so that we could have life and have it to the full. He has created us, and guess what? He sustains us. Jesus is not just the creator and the author of our faith in our lives, but he sustains us and equips us and guides us. In him was life as a reflection that from the beginning of time, Christ has been appointed to be the source and the sustainer of all that we see, of all that we live out each day as we think about our lives together. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That life is our light, and it is guides and directs. The Bible refers to the word as the light unto our path. It provides direction. It provides us source. It enables us to see where we're going. That life that is our light is a light that leads us and provides us comfort and provides us hope and provides us the assurance of salvation. It's that life and that light that gives us the hope that transcends the things of this world and focuses us on the things of heaven. You see, this world is fallen and broken, and we all have to work through that brokenness And God, through his son, provides us a direction and a pathway and a light to be able to guide us. God has a plan that through this baby in the manger that we celebrate, we can be right with God through a relationship with him. The fullness of life and purpose for each of us can be found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This light that shines into the darkness, the darkness has overcome the world, is where we find our hope that in spite of our circumstances, in spite of what's going on in our lives, we can find joy and purpose. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. There is no battle between good and evil. When Jesus, through his death on the cross, overcame death, death was defeated. Our victory is in Christ. The darkness will not overcome that truth. Everything that God has written about has come true. Everything that we find in Scripture about Jesus, we know to be true. And Christ alone provides us the hope and the comfort that each of us needs as we move through the reality of what God has for us each and every day. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 13, which was also written by John, he describes Jesus' glorious return. You see, Jesus was born in a manger. He died a criminal's death on the cross, but he overcame that death, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father today. And he's going to return. John writes about that in Revelation chapter 19, verse 13. He says this about Jesus. He is clothed in a robe dripped in blood. 
and the name by which he will be called is the Word of God. Jesus is called the Word of God. He was called the Word of God when the foundation of the world was set. He was referred to as the Word of God during his ministry and his time here. He's referred to the Word of God when we think about his second coming. Jesus is the Word. In that passage, two verses later, John would say, from him, from his mouth, will come a sharp sword. Jesus will strike the nations in the power of the word of God that speaks with the sword of his spirit. But that power of the word is so united with Jesus himself that John says that it doesn't just have a sword of God's word coming out of his mouth, but he is in fact himself the word of God. Jesus is our counselor. He is our protector. He is where we find our comfort and our hope, and he is the fullness of the word of God. And so as we come together to celebrate Christmas, we look to the baby in the manger. We're not just looking at an infant. We're looking at the incarnate word of God made flesh. Scripture says that he emptied himself, giving up his right to be called God, to have his presence with us. God is in the flesh in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that's what we come to celebrate together on Christmas morning. And so it's my prayer for each of us as we gather together tomorrow to encourage one another and as we spend time with one another that we can stop and reflect on the fullness of new life that is guaranteed to us through the person and the work of Christ. I know that there are maybe some of you here this evening that have questions about what our relationship with Christ is. It is very simple. There's a God that loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And when you look at that baby on the main, at the manger, that is a reflection of the love that God has for you and the desire of a relationship that he wants with you. And so when we come to understand that Jesus is God and that he died on the cross for our sins and we can be made right in our relationship with him, that's where the assurance of hope that is ours, that transcends this world and gives us hope for the future, not just beyond tomorrow or next week, but for all eternity. And so if you don't have a relationship with Christ this morning or this evening and and you're wondering what that looks like, how to have a relationship with Christ, it's, it's acknowledging the fact that we are sinful. This is a fallen and broken world. No one is perfect. We all need a relationship with Christ. And we come to that understanding. We understand that Jesus is the solution for that. We believe that he's God, that he died on the cross for our sins, and we ask Christ to come into our life. When Jesus left the disciples, he said, I'm going to a place, I'm going to prepare a place for you, but don't worry, I'm going to send you the counselor, a comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he will guide and direct you until we can be together again. And the Holy Spirit is external in the life of somebody that doesn't have a relationship with Christ, but when we ask him to come into our life and to be our Lord and take control, he takes up residence in us. I am made new. The old Richard goes away, there's a new Richard. And so if you do not have a relationship with Christ this evening and you're wondering how to do that, it's as simple as understanding that Jesus is God. He died on the cross for your sins and you can ask him to come into your life. It's more than just the words. And so I want to encourage you, um, if you have questions about that, we'd love to talk with you more about that. We have services every Sunday, uh, 9 and 11. If you do not have a church home, we'd love to invite you to come back. Um, But if you have questions about how to have a relationship with Christ, I would encourage you to make this Christmas the time that you seek the fullness of new life that is ours in Christ. I want to thank you for being with us um, this evening. We hope that you have a blessed um, holiday. And as we move through these next few days, I just pray that for each of us, uh, we would have an increasing sense of the Spirit of God at work in our lives. And we look forward to all that He has for us as we move into this new year. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for the hope that is ours in Christ. I thank you that He is the Word. 
I thank you that Jesus is God, and God, that through the assurance that he is who he claimed to be, all of Scripture points to him, that we can be right with you. I just pray that you would continue to draw each of us closer to yourself. You know, Scripture says in John 6, 44, no one comes to Christ unless the Father draws him. And so I pray that you would, by a work of your spirit, continue to draw people into a relationship with yourself. God, continue to increase our faith. God, we look forward to all that you have for us as we move through this holiday and into the new year. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.